Sermon number 663, Prerequisites for a Miracle, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, October 28, 1973. And the text is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, John 6, 1 through 13. I'm sure I express appreciation for the entire congregation in thanking our Westminster Choir who has uh, presented our Minister of Music this morning to these almost 40 in number young people who comprise this choir, which consists of members from the 5th, 6th, and 7th grades of our church school. We thank you very much and uh, look forward to when you will be with us again in morning worship. Also, this is a day when, again, we find ourselves saying goodbye to some very faithful members of this great congregation. Today, it is to Lou and Caroline Beach, family that has been a part of this church far longer than I have been its pastor. These are some of the strong yet quiet people who helped to make this church the great instrument of the Lord. Lou, as so often was found today in the offering department, taking it up in the balcony in Caroline for so many years, has been one of our great faithful teachers in the four-year-old department of our church school. Retirement now this week calls them to Florida. And to you people, we give you our love, our best, and we hope you'll be back with us for a visit very soon. And now, hear the word of God as we find it, find it in one of the miracles, the only miracle which is recorded in all four Gospels. The miracle which we commonly know as the feeding of the 5,000. John, the sixth chapter, beginning at the first verse. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And the multitude followed him, because they saw the signs which he did on those who were diseased. Jesus went up into the hills, and there sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, and lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a multitude was coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, How are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? This Jesus said to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about 5,000. 
Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over that nothing can be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. The story of a miracle. this very difficult subject, please allow me three personal observations. One, I believe in ancient and in modern-day miracles. Two, I believe that every miracle, be it yesterday, today's, or tomorrow's, is a product of God. Three, I believe that before anyone of us can recognize, enjoy, and benefit by any miracle produced by God, we must first understand some prerequisites for miracles. Now, I am certainly not a great authority on this particular difficult subject. I believe in them. And I think from what study I have been able to do, I think that there are some universal prerequisites concerning what takes place before miracles are performed. The first prerequisite. Before God performs or conducts a miracle, there must be an adequate occasion. An adequate occasion. In other words, God does not just go about doing miracles because he has nothing else better to do with his time. God does not create miracles just for his own or our amusement. I don't think God produces a miracle unless he has to. And that is what I mean by saying an adequate occasion. You see, I don't think God creates a miracle just to compensate for or to satisfy a selfish, a slothfulness, a particular request which we want simply because we are too lazy or stupid to do the thing ourselves. I don't think God works that way. I told you before about that young man who simply refused to study for the exam before the Christmas holiday and he was to go from the college campus to his home. Instead, he spent his time in riotous living, and finally the moment of truth came. Oh, he, he shot up a little prayer to God beforehand, asking for divine inspiration and intervention. Yes, he, he hoped for a miracle, but when 
He had not studied. He, he didn't know the answers to the question, but he hoped that the particular professor would take pity on him, so he merely wrote upon his paper as he was hurriedly trying to catch a late bus. God alone knows the answers to these questions. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and then he got his paper returned after the holiday. A very wise professor had written upon it. God passes, you fail. Happy New Year. <laughs> God, I do not believe, will substitute a numerical to replace the miraculous minds and muscles and methods that he has already given us in some form of miracle. No, nor do I believe that God will perform a miracle, no matter how desirous we are for it, if it is contrary to his will for our lives. I don't think that God will do anything, no matter how much we may want him to, to ruin the plan that he has for your life or mine, that perhaps only he knows about this very moment. You see, that, that, that's in this passage. Remember, he was really testing, testing Philip that John said that Jesus already knew what he was going to do even when he asked Philip, where can we buy bread for this many people? God creates you. He created you. He knows you. He knows the tomorrows in your life. And he will not create a miracle simply to dispel because you want something different than the miraculous life that he has planned for you. No. There must be an adequate occasion for God to perform a miracle. Best we understand that. Secondly, I, I don't think God performs miracles unless there is, at least on the part of one person, maybe it only needs one, but at least on the part of somebody, an attitude of preparation. that if it had been up to Philip, there would have been no miracle there that day. When, when he came and confronted the situation, the only thing Philip could bring with him was an attitude of problems. Lord, $40 will not be enough to buy food to give even everybody just a little bit. All Philip could see was the problem that existed. <coughs> and Andrew, he wasn't much better. Oh, he, he brought the boy who had all of the ingredients for the miracle. But he brought not only that boy, but he brought his own attitude of incompetency and inadequacy. Lord, what are these among so many? Now, I'm sure our Lord could have created the miracle in some other way. Our Lord, who turned water into wine, 
He could have very easily have taken rocks and turned them into bread as he once was tempted to do. But the fact remains that that particular miracle, that is not what God did. God took the preparations of a little boy and he miraculously fed 5,000 men plus women and children. We don't know anything about that little boy. We don't know his name. We don't know where he lived. We, didn't know, we don't even know where he was going that day. But all we know is when he got up that morning, whether he was planning to go play some ancient Hebrew game, or whether he was going fishing, or wherever he was going when he got caught up in that crowd of more than 5,000 people, we know that he had with him an attitude of preparation. When he left home that morning, he probably had no idea where he was going, but he went prepared for anything and everything. He was prepared to be fed. So he took with him a sack lunch of five barley loaves and two fish. And because he came prepared, in an attitude of preparedness. God took that attitude and the preparation and he turned it into a miracle. I wonder how many of you came here today in the attitude of expecting a miracle. Here, today. And we've got our problems. Some of us have come quite hungry for the answer. But how many of you came here with your problems and other resources believing and prepared for a miracle to happen here? And then we wonder what's wrong with the churches today. We wonder why the God who stopped the sun quieted the seas, divided the waters, cannot bring peace on earth and no peace in the hearts of people. Are you prepared for a miracle? <laughs> Have you come with an attitude of expectancy that a miracle is going to take place? How many of you came here this morning believing that something you might hear from the Word of God, blessed by His Holy Spirit, would be the answer to the particular problem that has been facing you maybe just last night, or the last week, or the last month? How many of you really believe and are prepared to accept the miracle that God has prepared for you? I read once about a church down in Texas. You know, they do everything big in that state. And that particular year, it was a big drought. Boring for weeks and months. And finally, the good people in the churches decided they better call upon the Lord for the miracle of rain. Fifteen hundred people gathered in one of those big churches, and they prayed for hours. The rain. The preacher couldn't understand it until he looked out over that great congregation. Only one woman had brought an umbrella. <laughs> a 
an attitude of preparation. If we don't have it, maybe God won't do it. There's another prerequisite, I believe, for miracles. Complete surrender. Complete surrender. <coughs> Jesus said to the people, make them sit down. And remember, no miracle happened until the people gave up their own strength and sat down. Till they surrendered their independency and followed his particular will and word. There was no miracle until that boy completely surrendered his sack lunch. He didn't give the Lord just three or four of the loaves. He gave him all five. He didn't give him just one or part of one fish. He gave him both fish. The Lord expects complete surrender. For what did the Lord do himself? He even took those gifts and he surrendered him to the Father's will when in thanksgiving he prayed, Here they are, Lord. Use them as you will. Complete surrender is what is necessary on the part of somebody before miracles take place. I don't think that we can come in the presence of the Lord and ask for a miracle which is an adequate occasion if we are not depending upon our own selfishness and stupidity and slothfulness without also offering ourselves to be a part of that miracle. The prayer should be not, O oh Lord, do this, but O oh Lord, use me. And when we learn to bring not only our talents, but our money, and our gifts and our time and make our surrender the prerequisite and the first primal need for our salvation. And miracles will take place. An adequate occasion, an attitude of preparation, complete surrender. But the miracle is not over. Have you ever noticed at the end of this miracle something very strange, very strange happens? Our Lord says to his disciples, mind you, not to everybody, but to his disciples, go gather the fragments that are left over. Pick them up so that none may be lost, so that no part may be lost of that miracle. Now, why do you think he did that? After all, the people had been fed and filled. Why go around and pick up the leftovers, the rubbish, and the fragments? The miracle had been performed, hadn't it? Undoubtedly, something was yet to be done. Otherwise, I don't think Jesus would have taken the time and required the effort of the disciples to go around and to pick up little chunks of bread and morsel of fish that had been cast aside. But his disciples did it, 
And lo and behold, when they were finished, they filled twelve baskets full of the remains of that miracle. Twelve baskets, yes, you see, one for each disciple. Now, why Jesus demand that? I think I know why. Because, you see, Jesus wanted these particular disciples to have to bend down and pick up the fragments, the leftovers of a miracle. And he wanted them to put them individually into their own baskets so that they would have with them to take wherever they would go the leftovers, which would also be the ingredients for a new miracle or at least would allow them to have a memory, a remembrance of a miracle that God had created. And they could feed upon that particular miracle, that particular miracle for many, many days to come. You see, I think what God was trying to tell those disciples and all of us who call ourselves disciples today is that a miracle is never finished until it is remembered. Until you have it in your own grasp and can carry it about and look at it and remember and feed upon it for days yet to come. You see, one of the great joys I have being the pastor of this church is to see miracles happen. I started this sermon by saying, I believe in ancient and modern day miracles. I do. And do you know why? Because this very minute I'm looking at some that God has privileged me to be a part of. I thought as some of these young children sang today, with some of you, I prayed in some of the maternity departments of some of the hospitals around this area. In the moments, or at least just a day after, God gave you a miracle of a son or a daughter. Through birth. That's a miracle. I have stood right there on that bottom step with some of you right out there and have joined a man and a woman, two distinct personalities, in the union of one fellowship in marriage through a miracle called love. I have seen homes miraculously healed before they were on the brink of disaster and divorce. And somehow through prayer, counseling, help, and patience, God healed the hurts. Some of you are very desirous of booze. 
and desired other things than love and concern and were bent on destroying your own life and everything and everybody close to you. And then came a miracle. The greatest miracle of all. A heart that was hard and cold and stubborn was broken, warmed, and healed. I have a big basket of the leftovers of miracles, ladies and gentlemen, that God has worked in your life. And the reason that I can stand here this morning and with all of the confidence and assurance I have tell you that I believe in miracles is because I don't forget those leftovers those fragments of miracles that I have seen before. And that is what enables me to know that there will be miracles after. So pick up the fragments. You see, not only do I have a basket full of fragments, but so do you. Pick up those fragments. Remember them. Count on them on them and allow them to be the source of miracles yet to be. I don't ask you to believe in miracles because I do, but I do ask you to remember the miracles of which you have been a part. Pick up those fragments. Look at them. I believe in miracles too. Amen. Father, we read in your word that in your own hometown you could do no mighty works because of the people's unbelief. Lord, we want to believe. Help us to believe. And help us to be part of miracles here in our own hometown. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.